Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Today, we're going to meet a few more of the women that Jesus encounters during his public ministry. But to get our foot in the door, I want to start with another story, the story of the healing of a demon-possessed man. Now, we read in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. They, Jesus and his disciples, sailed from Capernaum to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. The region of the Gerasenes is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, on the Golan Heights side. There were ten Decapolis cities, Gentile cities, nine of which were on the east side of the Jordan, one of which, Beit Shan or Sethopolis, was on the west side. And that's where they head, toward Gentile territory. Now, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. What a horrible thing. A Jew does not touch a dead person. And this man was living in the tombs. He's a Gentile. Oh, it can't get much worse. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Remember in Mark, when Jesus was teaching at the synagogue at Capernaum, and a demon-possessed man came up to him, approaching him, cursing and stumbling? And Jesus said, come out of him, and the demon roared out of him, flashed around the synagogue and out the front door. Well, we have another man just like that. Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out, but many times, it was a stubborn one, many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven out by the demon into solitary places. This man is in really bad shape. And Jesus asked him, not the man, but the thing inside him, what is your name? And a voice from inside the man, like, like in the movie The Exorcist, said, Legion, because many demons had gone into him. So there's not just one, there's a whole legion of demons. A Roman legion is 6,000 men. They begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Remember, we're in the land of the Gerasenes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee in Gentile territory, and they raised pigs. So a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out, now imagine the scene, the demons all coming out. A legion of them, 6,000 of them, all flying out of the man. When they came out, they went into the pigs. Now these poor pigs, they're grazing on the hillside, and all of a sudden, woohoo! a demon entered them. And when that happened, the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, there's only one spot where the Golan Heights comes down to the lake 
where you can drop off the cliff into the water. All the rest comes down gradually and there's farmland. But this is the very spot. When we travel to Israel and we stay on the Sea of Galilee, a, a little bit away from Capernaum at Nafginasar, we go to visit this site. They rushed down the bank and plunged into the lake and drowned. Which is the very first example in scripture of deviled ham. <laughs> well, those tending the pigs saw what happened and they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Why, he looked like an ordinary person. He had been cleaned up, had on nice clean clothes. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Here we were, watching, and all these demons came flying out of him like, like gnats or flies out of his mouth and ears and nose. Oh, it was terrible. All the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. They were terrified. So he got in the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And I've often wondered why the people sent Jesus away. Well, the, the common argument is that they raised pigs and this ruined their business. Well, I don't think so. They were terrified. Those who saw this happen, it, it, it was an extraordinary thing. And they, they're afraid. So they don't follow him. How many of us, when we're confronted with Christ, are afraid and, and turn our backs and ignore him? Hmm. Well, that brings me to the story that I wanted to tell you about the dead girl and the sick woman. That's our lead-in. So I continue at verse 40 of Luke 8. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him when he got back to Capernaum, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. A synagogue is very ordered, organized, very much like, uh, say, a Presbyterian church, where you have an elected board of elders who run the synagogue, and the board elects a chairman. The chairman is called the archisynagogus, the arch-synagogue guy, and that's what Jairus is, Jairus is, the ruler of the synagogue, the, in Greek, archisynagogus. He came and fell at Jesus' feet. Now remember, Jesus had taught in that synagogue at Capernaum every week for three years. And, and Jairus pleaded with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. So this woman has been bleeding, hemorrhaging from her inner organs 
for 12 years. In Leviticus, when a woman is having her monthly period, she is ceremonially unclean. And if a man touches her, he will be ceremonially unclean. Or if she touches someone else, he'll be ceremonially unclean. Now this woman is in a large crowd and she came up behind Jesus, made her way through the crowd, and of course everybody knew that she was unclean, so she must have covered herself, uh, brought her shawl around her face, looked down at the ground very inconspicuously, shouldered her way through the crowd, and she dropped to her knees behind him and touched the edge of his cloak the edge of the cloak, the craspadon, the seat seat, the threads that hang from the four corners of the garment. Thinking, if only I could touch the craspadon, the seat seat, I would be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who, who touched me, Jesus asked. He knew something had happened. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the whole crowd's pressing against you, like everybody's touching you. Jesus said, no, someone touched me. Power has gone out from me. Jesus felt something inside leaving, that healing power. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now while Jesus was speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and he put his arm around Jairus, whispered in his ear, I'm so sorry, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Well, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, because tears sprang to his eyes, of course, Jesus put his hand on Jairus' shoulder and said, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Now, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, the inner, inner circle the child's father and mother as well. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. They're all weeping over the death of this 12-year-old little girl. Jesus said, stop wailing. She's not dead, only asleep. Well, they laughed at him. They, they knew what a dead girl looked like. Not a breath, cold. He took her by the hand. He said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up and Jesus told them to get her something to eat. <laughs> that, that's such a nice touch. She's probably hungry. <laughs> you have a bowl of Cheerios. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what 
had happened. Now notice in this story, we have an older woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one could touch her, not her husband, not her children, not any of the neighbors. And as a woman, she's been dead for 12 years, unable to create life, unable to engage with her husband. As a woman, she's been dead. And Jesus brought her back to life. And right in the middle of this story, we have Jairus' daughter, who is also dead. And not coincidentally, she's 12 years old as well. So we have the story of the woman with the hemorrhage embedded in the story of Jairus and his daughter. That's a wonderful touch. And it shows us again Jesus' connection, his intimacy with an older woman and with a young girl. Now, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 21. Jesus has just learned of the death of his cousin and forerunner, John the Baptist. And I think personally that was a turning point in Jesus' public ministry. Up until that point, he was teaching, preaching, and healing. After this, he will take his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Peter will make his confession of faith. They'll go to Mount Hermon for the transfiguration and head for the cross. This story we're about to enter. After Jesus learns of John's death, you know, you have to wonder about Jesus' self-knowledge. Did he know who he was to the fullest extent? Or was it an ongoing process? Jesus could not be fully human and fully divine if he knew all the answers. To be fully human, he had to struggle as we do. He had to know, he had to experience, had to experience everything that we experience, including doubt, including anguish, and I think he did. But that turning point with John the Baptist, dead, Jesus going up onto the goal line in a night of prayer, coming back down, walking across the water, and now leaving that place we read in Matthew 15, 21, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus headed north. The furthest north he had been was Caesarea Philippi and perhaps Mount Hermon, if that's the Mount of Transfiguration. That's about 60 miles north. But Tyre and Sidon are on the coast in modern-day Lebanon. He's going into Gentile country. What's he doing there? I don't know. I think he may have... He needed to get away. <laughs> he needed time. So he went to that place, and a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, from that vicinity came to him, crying out, 
Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly with demon possession. Oh, we just saw Jesus drive the demons, a legion of demons, out of a Gentile man. But Jesus did not answer, didn't say a word. His disciples came and said, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He's one of those nasty Gentile women. And he answered her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now that's, that's pretty unfeeling. He had great compassion for the Gentile man possessed by demons. He had great compassion for Jairus' daughter, great compassion for the woman with the hemorrhage. But he said, I'm not interested in you. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman then fell to her knees before him and looked up at him and raised her hands and said, Lord, help me. He again gave her the cold shoulder. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, there is no way around it. That is an insult. Oh, I've heard it explained in homilies. Well, dogs like puppies that people like. No, dogs in the Middle East are unclean animals. They run in packs. They're filthy. I don't know anyone in all my travels of the Middle East over 30 years, I don't know anyone who owns a dog that lives in their house. It's an insult. To call someone in the Middle East a dog is the biggest insult you can make. And he said it's not right to take the children's bread, the Jews, and toss it to dogs. Now, I would expect her to get up, slap him across the face, and walk away. But no, she stayed on her knees looking up at him, and she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And I think that Jesus was utterly taken aback by that. He didn't expect that at all. He expected her, perhaps, to get up, slap him, and leave. Oh, she slapped him all right. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And I could just see Jesus' expression staggering backward a couple of steps. And then he said, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Then Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Well, there you go. He's way up in Tyre and Sidon. Why he had gone north, I don't know. Was he just finished with all this? But this is a turning point as well. It's a turning point in that he's not just the Messiah for the Jews, but for all of humanity. Now, turn with me over to Luke, uh, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now we have another woman who's an outcast. John writes, 
The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. Jesus wasn't baptizing anyone. And when the Lord learned this, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. So he's in Jerusalem. Now he's going back north to Galilee. Now we know at this point, for sure, you better know, I'll be a quiz on this, we know that when you leave Jerusalem to go back to Galilee, you go up the Mount of Olives, down the eastern side through Bethany, down the Roman road, 17.3 miles to Jericho, cross the Jordan River to the east side, parallel the Jordan all the way up to Scythopolis or Beit Shan, cross back over the Jordan, then go up to the Sea of Galilee. That's the pilgrim route. But John tells us in chapter 4, verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Samaria is in the central mountain range on the west side of the Jordan River, up in the mountains. That's not the way you go home. So John's tone of voice as he's writing this, he said, he just, he just had to go through Samaria. All right, we're going through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. I've been to that very place, Jacob's well. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. In John, we use Roman time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we use Jewish time. Jewish time is sundown, to the following sundown. That's a day. Roman time is like our time, midnight until the next midnight. So in John, the sixth hour is six o'clock in the morning. Now, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman came to draw water at six o'clock in the morning. Now, if you've been with me for any length of time, you know that women go to the well in the evening after dinner. That's when the women congregate at the well, they get water for the next morning, the children come with them, they play. We've had countless stories of women at the well in the evening. She's there at six o'clock in the morning. Why? Well, wait till we learn something about her. She's not welcomed by the other women. She's a pariah. She's an outcast. And Jesus went to that well specifically to see her. Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, not, oh, you are a Jew and I'm just a, a lowly Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? No, not at all. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans are the descendants of the northern kingdom of Israel who were taken captive into Assyria in 722 BC. And later, some came back with the Jews in 539 when they came back from Babylon. But they had adulterated their religion with the Assyrian and Babylonian beliefs. They were not quite pagans, but almost. And they were Jews who had turned their back on Judaism, turned their back on David, the house of David, the temple. They were loathed by the Jews. 
the story of the Good Samaritan. That's an oxymoron. To a Jew, there's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. And now we have a Samaritan woman, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And the Samaritans hated the Jews too. No, she said, you are a Jew. You're, you're one of these filthy Jews, and I am a Samaritan woman. How dare you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, John tells us parenthetically. You see why John said, oh, he just had to go through Samaria. Nobody wants to go there. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, that's rather cryptic. Sir, the woman said, and I think she spelled that with a C, cur, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. So where do you expect to get this living water? Because I'm not going to fetch water out of the well for you. What, you think you're greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, <laughs> well, give me this water so I won't get, get thirsty anymore and have to come here at six o'clock in the morning and draw water. He told her, call your husband and come back. And she crossed her arms in front of her chest and she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, huh, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five and the man you now have isn't your husband. What you said is quite true. Well, I bet she's taken aback by that. She's had five husbands and living with somebody else. Now you know why the other women didn't welcome her at the well in the evening. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. I don't know how you know me or how you got this information, but you, you must be some kind of prophet to know that. Our fathers, we, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. And where do they worship? After Solomon's death, civil war broke out. Jeroboam led the civil war in the north and created the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital at Samaria. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, became king of the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital of Jerusalem and the temple. Jeroboam, knowing that if people went to the temple for the pilgrimage festivals, their loyalties would go back to the house of David. So, he said, you're not permitted to go south into Jerusalem. Instead, he built two altars to the golden calves at Dan and Bethel. Dan, on the border between the south and the north, uh, I'm sorry, Bethel at the border between the south and the north, and Dan up on the northern border of Israel. We worship on this mountain. And who do we worship? The golden calf at Bethel. But you Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. 
Jesus declared. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, not from the Samaritans. Yet, a time is coming and has indeed come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, neither at Bethel nor at Jerusalem, but in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, <laughs> Well, now I know you must be the Messiah. Who's to come? Because when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. When the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now imagine the surprised look on her face. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Because what woman's going to be at the well at six o'clock in the morning? And he wouldn't be speaking to a total stranger who was a woman. No man would have done that. So the disciples returned. They had gone to get breakfast. They came back with a bag of egg McMuffins. But no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town, said to the people, you have got to see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Why did they do that? All the men of the town came out because she said, I met a man who told me everything I ever did. And all those men looked at each other and whatever she did, she did with a lot of them. Meanwhile, his disciples urged, Rabbi, have an egg McMuffin, eat something here. But he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, did somebody else bring him egg McMuffins? <laughs> My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more than the harvest? Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The fields of Samaria. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying goes, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Well, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, and because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed a couple of days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said. We have now heard it with our own ears. This man really is the Savior of the world. So when Jesus said, 
leaving Jerusalem, crossing over the Jordan. No, they didn't do that. He said, we have to go to Samaria. John, he just had to go to Samaria. Why? I'll bet Jesus looked in his day planner and right there on the page, it says 6 a.m. Samaritan woman at the well. And there she was, and there he was, and there's our story. That's a great one. More of the women that Jesus meets, many of them very close, intimate friends, others hostile toward him, like the Samaritan woman, others in between. So we have a whole range of women with whom Jesus engages. And that brings us to the end of our Friday Scripture Uncovered podcast. Have a good weekend, folks. I'll be talking with you again on Monday. Bye-bye now. Blessings to you.